The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at Genesis chapter 1. If you have a bulletin there, there's a handout there for you. And we're looking at Genesis. For those of you who have not been here, we began to look at the book of Genesis. This is our fourth message. And when I introduced it, I actually did do an overview of the whole book of Genesis survey, talked about all that, laying the foundation, 50 chapters. And then I relayed that we were only going to be looking at chapters 1 through 3, verse by verse, uh, because it's so foundational. And the better you understand the book of Genesis, the more fruitful your reading will be in the New Testament, really, the greater understanding you'll have of Jesus Christ and he fulfilled so many prophecies and God's original intent. So Genesis is absolutely foundational for life and especially for a Christian to understand the Bible and particularly those first three chapters answer so many questions. So that's why we're delving into uh, chapters one through three. Also, it's a relevant study because it, if you're a Christian here today, a study in Genesis one through three in a very detailed manner in a literal approach will affect your thinking and it'll affect you uh, no matter where you're living. Uh, because of the people that God's going to send your way to interact with. Because most folks in the world, most people in this country, most people in this area, no doubt, they don't have a Christian worldview. They don't understand Genesis. Maybe they've never read it and studied it. They probably wouldn't take it literally. And so it's important for us as Christians to understand how God gave Genesis 1 through 3. So there's a practical relevance that will benefit and edify all of us in doing this detailed study. So let's go ahead and look at Genesis. We are still in verse 1. Like I said, this is our fourth message, but this is only our third message uh, dealing with this first verse. I actually think we're moving at a pretty healthy clip here. This is my fourth message, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, fourth sermon, and we're already on the third word. That, That surprises me. I can't believe I've gotten that far. So we'll see. But yeah, we're going to be looking at the third word. So we looked at uh, the first word in in your Hebrew text, first word in the Bible, Bereshith. Bear, I'll get to teach you a little Hebrew, okay? Bear as in animal, bear, bear, a sheet, as in a sheet on the bed, bear a sheet, bear a sheet. Okay, I'll say three and you say bear a sheet. One, two, three. Beautiful. You're speaking Hebrew. Bereshith, that's one word, and it's the first three words in your English Bible, Bereshith, Bereshith. So we looked at that in the beginning. That answered the question, when, the absolute beginning, when God created all things. And then we looked at the answer to the question of who, which implies an intelligent design. No, an intelligent designer, his name is the Almighty God. It goes by Elohim, the triune God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we looked at Elohim as the one that created all things in the absolute beginning, Elohim. So uh, we're going to try it. Bear a sheet, Elohim. Okay, when I say three, bear a sheet, Elohim. One, two, three. Oh, this is beautiful. Bereshit Elohim, in the beginning God. And today we're looking at the word, actually we're looking at the rest of this verse. Can you believe we're going to cover an entire half a verse today? I think, depending upon when lunch is. We'll see how far we get. So the next word, Bereshit Elohim bara. So we're looking at uh, created. This answers the question, how? How did all, we're, we are proposing that everything was created at one point. 
Not everybody agrees with that assertion or worldview. As a matter of fact, many in the secular world would hold to ancient Greek philosophies and other secular philosophies that actually all of matter and creation is eternal. It's always existed. And we show that the Bible clearly teaches something categorically different. All of matter as we know it hasn't always existed. It was created and it was created by God. God is the only thing that has always existed for all eternity. His name is Elohim and specifically his name is Yahweh revealed in the New Testament as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible is very clear that Elohim or God created all things absolutely at some finite time in the past and declared all things into existence. He's the creator. And the Bible is distinct and unique, especially when compared to ancient literature and ancient stories about creation, and I mean really ancient stories, and that God is clearly distinct and separate from his creation. He's not a part of his creation. He didn't create a a creation out of himself. He didn't evolve out of preexistence of created matter like other myths try to tell us. He is absolutely, totally separated from the creation that he created, and he is sovereignly reigning over it. That is clear even in just this verse of Genesis 1.1 and the words, that are used. Why are we going so slow through Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Pastor Cliff? I have heard that so far. I've, by the way, I've, I've heard a lot of good stuff. I've had some good interactions since we began our studies in Genesis. Some people are particularly interested in this topic of Genesis, creation, and all that is implied. And it, so I've gotten some good questions. I've got some questions like that as well, practical ones. Why is it taking so long? Well, the reason it's taking so long, I'll say that's a two-part answer. We're not going to spend this much time on the rest of Genesis 1 through 3 that we are in Genesis 1, 1. Okay, so it is narrative, and we will address it accordingly in story-like form. So it will go a little faster as we move through. Uh, But Genesis 1, 1 is just absolutely foundational. It's an independent sentence that stands on its own. And also, the Greek, I mean, the, uh, the grammar matters. Okay, so this is God's interpretation of reality and how it all began. And he gave specific words. And he gave specific words with specific tenses and in a specific syntax and in a specific context. And when Jesus taught the Old Testament, many times he parsed verbs to establish a doctrinal truth, like the resurrection was based on the certain tense of the smallest verb in Greek, to be, or actually in Hebrew. The Apostle Paul did the same thing, making a big deal out of a plural noun versus a singular noun or a masculine noun versus a feminine. Really? So the details matter. And so when, as I I told you, I teach Genesis at the seminary, and so I'm kind of on the cutting edge of what's being taught, particularly in the evangelical world today on on Genesis. And there's a lot of views out there. I mean, there's there's so much stuff. There's too much to, to read and absorb. But in the debate, and there's a big debate, you know, versus, you know, young earth versus old earth Christians, and they debate and go back and forth and a lot of that dialogue. And, and some of the dialogue is between intelligent design people and atheists and young earth people against atheists. Well, anyway, so there's a lot of different directions from which the arguments are coming. But in a lot of, I would say most of what I have been exposed to in the debate is nobody really goes into detail, especially in Genesis chapter one. They're neglecting the details. They're looking at it from 30,000 feet and only from there, and they argue philosophically, and they also argue what's called theologically, theological arguments. But I don't hear a whole lot of people about getting down into the nitty-gritty of what the text actually says as God gave it, because it means something. 
It's authoritative. It is binding. So that's why that's a long answer to the question, why are we taking so long in verse 1? Well, because we want to look at every word in its context, properly interpreted, because that's how God gave it. And for whatever reason, this is the first verse in the entire Bible that God wanted us to hear. And it's absolutely foundational. So today we look at um, answering the question of how. In the absolute beginning, Elohim, the triune God, created all things. Well, how did he do that? Well, the answer to that really comes from the word in your English Bible that says created. Now, if you have a New American Standard, uh, it says, in the beginning, God created. So we need to talk about this Hebrew word created because it is significant. It matters. The details matter. And when I'm discussing this with an atheist, they, they don't want to hear the details. They don't want to get bogged down and talk about what is the Hebrew word for created here. So just so you know, it's bara is the Hebrew word, B-A-R-A, bara, bara. Okay, on three, say bara. Okay, one, two, three. Beautiful. You know Hebrew. No, you don't know Hebrew, but you're speaking Hebrew. And bara means created. Uh, if you look at, uh, and there's a couple other words that mean created, but they're not the same word. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 7, it says God made the expanse. Implication, God created the expanse. God made. Well, the word made is a different Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7 than the word for created in chapter 1, verse 1. Then if you have your Bible there, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. God made the beasts of the earth. Verse 26, let us make men in our image. Verse 31, he made. Those are all different Hebrew words than the word that is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, there's another Hebrew word used to create or make something that I haven't referred to yet, and that's chapter 2 of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man, the dust of the earth. That is not bara. That's yatsar, yatsar, just like it sounds, yatsar. That's just a different word uh, to refer to something, uh, creating or making something, but... Yatsar in Genesis 2, verse 7, when it's used in its context, typically refers to making something out of pre-existing material, typically of a potter. A potter has a pile of clay. The potter made that beautiful piece of pottery. Well, did he make it out of nothing ex nihilo? No, he made it from pre-existing material. He made it from a pile of clay. So he fashioned it. Okay, so that's yatsar. That's the verb used for make in chapter 2, verse 7, or many times in the Old Testament where Someone is carving a piece of wood into an idol or an image. Same word. So you're making something from pre-existing material, yatsar. And then those words for make and create, like chapter 1, verse 7, God made the expanse. That's asa. That's a different Hebrew word than chapter 1, verse 1. It's not bara. So these words matter. And a lot of times your English Bible doesn't distinguish between the different words being used. Many times it just says create, create, create. And in English, it's the same English word, but those are three different Hebrew words. So that's what I'm trying to point out is highly significant. And so when we say chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God, Elohim, bara. Bara is a distinct word, is a unique word, very unique. It is used many times throughout the Old Testament. And even the tense of the verb bara is significant. Here's how significant it is, bara. Uh, the tense of the verb. What is the tense of the verb in created bara in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? Well, it's, it's called uh, the cal 
stem or the cal form of the verb, Q-A-L, cal. All that means, it's just the basic, simple form of the verb. 70% of verbs in the Hebrew Old Testament are in that form. And it's a cal-perfect use of the verb. So when you have a cal-perfect use of the verb bara throughout the entire Old Testament, God is always the subject. Ooh, that was important. God is always the subject. Only God bara things. Only God creates things. With that word, bara, and the form of that word, bara. In other words, uh, never do you have that verb in that form referring to someone making something with pre-existing material. That's why it is so significant. It is always God doing something. It is always God making, always God creating. And in this case, it is God creating something out of nothing. So even the word bara and its form really establishes this idea of creation out of nothing. Creating, not using pre-existing materials. And in Latin, uh, it became a popular phrase, creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. Do the details matter? Absolutely. This is what God communicated to us. The most famous verse in the Bible, the most memorized verse by the Jewish people since the time it was written, 1400 B.C. And the details matter. So, in the very, so when? In the very beginning. The absolute beginning. Who? Almighty God, creator of the universe. Did what? He created all things. How did he do it? He made everything out of nothing. He did it uniquely. He did it absolutely. That's what this word bara communicates. Just a few more other things uh, about the importance of this word bara being used. Uh, Again, I hinted at last week that as human beings, we can only relate to things being made out of something else. We can't, we have no practical experience of interacting or interfacing with anything that came into existence apart from having pre-existing material. We just, we cannot relate. That's why this verse is so mind-boggling. It, it should just cause us to bow down in awe. There is no scientific explanation for Bereshit Elohim bara. In the very absolute beginning, Elohim, the triune God of the universe, created all things out of nothing instantaneously in a moment by his word. Wow. How can you analyze that, critique that through empirical human science? You can't. Put that in the laboratory, test it. You can't. We have no paradigm in which to put that statement or that reality in. So it's utterly profound. Uh, One Hebrew scholar, respected Hebrew scholar, who's written a commentary on Genesis chapter 1, he just simply says, what Genesis 1-1 teaches is infinitely, infinitely different from our limited experience. That is, that's so true. All reality springing into existence by the divine word is not an action with which humans can readily identify. So when you read this verse and understand the implications, this means that the God of the universe created all things, absolutely everything, out of nothing instantaneously. 
that should cause us to pause and respond the proper way. This reality is outside the realm of human experience or observation, analysis, or critique. Therefore, it is beyond the realm of human human science. It is outside of science. It is hyper-scientific, if you will. It is utterly hyper-naturalistic. Naturalistic, what does that mean? Well, that's the basic universal presupposition of how humans do science today. It's a naturalistic approach. It's uh, the world-class scientist today, and it's your esteemed universities and colleges where you study and maybe have studied. Pretty much across the board, all the so-called scientists approach science the same way, and that's naturalistically. What does that mean? They deny the possibility, reality of miracles. They deny the supernatural. It's all in a naturalistic approach. That is a presupposition. It's a settled conviction they have. It is a worldview they have. It's a paradigm that they have. And it doesn't allow for what the Bible says. That's why they come to the conclusions that they do. We must assess, think about, critique all things through the naturalistic anti-miracle paradigm of human science. By the way, it's not just human science. It's secular human science. By the way, it's more than secular human science. It's humanistic, really. Humanistic, secular, atheistic, Darwinian, materialistic science. Really, that's the accurate definition. And all of it does not allow for miracles. All of it doesn't allow for the supernatural. None of it allows for Almighty God and what he said in his word. So it's a naturalistic approach. Genesis 1.1, and it's a reality, and the verb bara is hyper-naturalistic. It's beyond that which is natural. It's beyond what is human. It's beyond what can be assessed or even contemplated by human. Which is true because that is the very nature of God. God is infinite. He is almighty. He is eternal. There's no way to humanly conceive those realities that God is all-powerful, infinite, totally sovereign, and almighty over all of humanity. We are finite. We are fallen. There's no way to possibly assess the eternal and the infinite almighty God. That's beyond our capability. That's why one of God's names is that very thing. Even attributing the same name to Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, who the Messiah who would be born and unto us, uh, a child is born unto us, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful, that's the Hebrew word for beyond comprehension. That's literally what it means. The incomprehensible one. That is God, that is Jesus. That's why Isaiah went on to say in Isaiah 55 that God's ways are above our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, are God's ways above our ways. So it's an unbridgeable chasm in terms of trying to comprehend and understand the almighty, infinite God. So the, this is a basic presupposition we just need to get a hold of. And realize that when you are talking to an unbeliever, you, you are not even in the same ballpark in terms of your presuppositions, your worldview, your assumptions about reality. They are down here, you're up here. You're on FM frequency, they are on AM. That's just a reality. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But point being that this sentence and the reality that it conveys is hyper-scientific, it is utterly hyper-natural, and it is the epitome of supernatural, and therefore it defies scientific study or scrutiny. It is beyond discovery or intuition and can get this. This truth, this reality communicated in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, can only be discovered, known by revelation, okay, by special revelation, by direct revelation, by divine revelation, by the creator of the universe condescending 
down to us and choosing to initiate giving us this information so that we can know it. Because apart from his revelation, we would not know this. There's no way we could. We were not there. But out of God's grace, his love, his mercy, his willingness and desire to actually relate personally to individual human beings that he created, he revealed this truth to us. So the truth of Genesis 1-1 can only be known and understood by revelation, divine revelation initiated by God which is not a human work, cannot be discovered by revelation, supernatural revelation. That's what the whole Bible is, by the way. This is called special revelation. The Bible says there's a real eternal hell that's conscious, physical, deserved. Well, that's brutal. I don't believe that. I, that's hard to believe, really, on a human level. I believe it totally. The only reason I believe it is in the Bible. God revealed it. He knows. He created it. And every other very difficult truth of Christianity we come to through the same thing. God revealed it. Is there an afterlife? Yes, I know because God revealed it. I don't, I don't know it intuitively or experientially. Never been there. Don't know anybody who has. Save the Lord Jesus Christ who has revealed himself by divine revelation as well. So really, basically every doctrine of Christianity is given to us and understood, comprehended, believed by revelation. That means outside of human capability. Initiated by God from the other. It is alien to us. From the heavenlies. Absolutely amazing. So that's just a foundational basic presupposition that should be in your Christian worldview. That'll answer a lot of questions for you. Uh, well, in light of that, being that this comes only by way of revelation, well, so God initiates this revelation and people have two options pretty much. Well, maybe three, but two for the most part. That is, you can accept and believe the revelation that God gives or you can do what? You can reject it, Right? Those are your two bases. So we have people sitting here today. You listen to this and you either believe it or you reject it. Those are the only two alternatives. And by accepting it, I mean you, you understand it, you comprehend it as it's being communicated, then you actually embrace it and you actually believe it as a solid inward conviction, so much so that you're committed to living by it and even defending and preaching it. That's what I mean by believing it. That is not a work on your own or my own. That is a supernatural. So God supernaturally gives us information and then God supernaturally allows us to believe it. He strips away our blinders and our lack of ability to perceive and understand divine revelation, the blinders that come with being a personal sinner and also the blinders that come from the blindness of Satan himself. And God in his grace removes those blinders and God through his grace by giving us the indwelling Holy Spirit enables a Christian to actually believe this mind-boggling, amazing truth that defies all of natural human knowledge. So we understand God's revelation by faith. So to understand this and believe this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things out of nothing in the very beginning. Oh, I believe that. The only reason you believe it is because God enabled you to believe. Actually, God gave you the faith to believe it. Believe and faith are cognates of the same word. To believe is to have faith. The, the, you don't have any ability, I have no ability to believe divine revelation unless God allows me to believe, unless God enables me to believe. That is in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Because we need faith, supernatural faith, not just normal faith, human faith. Like, I believe in the warriors. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a heavenly, supernatural, divine 
faith and ability to believe that is outside of ourselves and humanity. This is a divine, supernatural faith. And the Bible makes that distinction. And this kind of faith that enables a person to believe supernatural, unknown miracles given only by God, Romans 10, 17 says this kind of faith comes by hearing the word of Christ or the King James, by hearing the word of God. So there is the only reason we believe in this kind of creation and the reality of the origin of all things is because God enabled us to believe and that faith that enabled us to believe came from our exposure to the Bible. To have supernatural faith, we must be exposed to God's truth written down in the Bible. It's the only way we can have this kind of faith. Faith comes by hearing a word about Christ or a word about God. And for us today, that means truth coming from the Bible, coming from Scripture. So it comes only by divine revelation. The only way to embrace it is by divine supernatural faith that comes from exposure to the Bible. That's why we preach to people. Don't be surprised when you're talking to a pagan, unbeliever, secular humanist, whatever, and, you t- and they hear about Genesis 1-1 and they laugh in your face. That is ridiculous. That is absurd. That's a normal response. That makes sense. That's how they should respond. They don't have faith. They don't have supernatural faith. There's barriers in the way. What do they need? They need exposure to the Bible, to the Word of God, the supernatural, living, life-changing Word of God. They need to hear Scripture. God will use that in His grace through the Holy Spirit to actually create believing faith in their heart. His work. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, what grace? By grace you've been saved through faith. What faith? Where did the grace come from? Where did the faith come from? By grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. The grace didn't come from you. The faith didn't come from you or me. It was not innate. It wasn't inherent. It wasn't intuitive. It wasn't natural. It wasn't through experience. I didn't learn it on a human level. Grace and faith were initiated by God. That not of yourselves, but it was the gift of God. And it's a result of being exposed to the truth of the Bible, of Scripture. God's Word never returns void. So in other words, if I was not a Christian, I would not believe the realities of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And for 19 years, for the most part, I didn't because I wasn't a Christian. In terms of the details of it, I believed in God because everybody believes in God. Everybody knows there's a God. They don't believe in God. No, but it's not that everybody believes in God. Everybody knows there's a God and there is a difference. So let me look at, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. As a corollary in the New Testament, highlighting this great truth, summarizing beautifully everything that I just said and argued. Hebrews chapter 11, towards the end of your Bible. Some of you might know this is the chapter on faith. This is a chapter mentioning many Old Testament characters. But the theme throughout is faith, and it's divine faith. It's saving faith. It's, there's a human kind of faith, and then there's a divine faith that not everybody has. Only Christians do, or only the kind of faith that comes from God directly through the conduit of direct revelation, special revelation. So the faith that's talked about in chapter 11 is supernatural faith that God has imparted to sinners. And it's faith that he imparted, primarily culminating in the greatest reality, which is salvation. You cannot be saved and transformed unless you have faith that God has given you or me. And it's an introductory. Look at just the first three verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction Some translations say now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence 
of things not seen. The evidence of things. Scripture, faith is the evidence. That's amazing. Supernatural faith that comes only from God through the exposure of divine revelation for us today in Scripture. That's, you could literally put that in there. In now faith. Supernatural faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the promises of God that he said he would give us. And also it's the evidence. This supernatural faith is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the evidence that hell is real. Evidence is uh, the evidence of creation beginning when it did, according to Genesis 1-1, comes from believing it, faith. That's the evidence. What's the evidence that all things came into being according to Genesis 1-1? What is the evidence for that? Because we're always looking for evidence. Where's the evidence? Give me the scientific evidence. What's the evidence? Hebrews 11-1 says the evidence for things not seen, creation of everything out of nothing that's not seen. We weren't there. No one was there. There was nothing before it was created. So that goes under this category at the end of verse 1. What is the evidence that God created all things out of nothing instantaneously in a moment by his supernatural work? What is the evidence for that? Faith is. Supernatural faith. Where'd that come from? Exposure to God's divine revelation in concert with the Holy Spirit of God. That is the evidence. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's what the Bible says. And I believe that principle by faith. And the only reason I believe that principle by faith is because God allowed me to believe it because he gave me the faith to believe that principle. So he goes on, chapter 2, for by it men of old, women of old as well, faith, gained approval before God. Get this, verse, here's the key, verse 3. By faith, we, this is Christians alone, okay? So this is not talking about unbelievers, very smart and intelligent people who reject the Bible, very smart and intelligent and highly educated Evolutionary biologists with their PhDs, it's not talking about them. By faith, we, the Christian community, true believers, by faith. That's our predicate. That's our foundation. By supernatural faith that God has revealed to us through divine revelation, we understand. Not we speculate, not just we kind of think so, not that we hope. We actually understand. We know truth. Did you know you can know truth definitively, contrary to what postmodern society would tell us? You can't really know anything. That's that's a lie that's contrary to the Bible. By faith, we know. By faith, we know the very things that God has revealed. By faith, we know the things that God knows. By faith, we, we can know true reality as it is because we have the mind of Christ, says 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ if you're a Christian. You have the Spirit of God living in you. That's why we can know with certitude. This is amazing. By faith, we understand and know that the world's or the world, or all of creation, all of the cosmos, all of reality, that's what it's talking about. It's an all-inclusive statement. By faith, we know that the world was prepared or created. There it is. We know that. How? We're answering how today. It says right there. By the word of God. What does that mean? Well, by God. The word of God is sourced in God himself and his person. The word of God speaks of the mind of God. The word of God speaks of a manifestation of the will of God. And the word of God also speaks of the power of God. You can't separate the word of God from God himself. That's a false dichotomy. Heretics do it all the time. The word of God. That's why you see in Genesis 1 all throughout, God said, boom. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be this. Boom. There was so uh, God creates things by his word. How did God bring all of existence into, uh, I mean, all of reality into existence instantaneously? It was by the word of his power, by his word. That's how he did it. Well, I don't understand that. I know this is really hard. To, this is hard. Stuff. This hurts my brain. 
By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So there, how, how did everything come into existence? So that's something that uh, a six-year-old will ask you. Parents, well, you've you got an arsenal of information now. It's actually one of the most profound and difficult questions they ever ask, and yet six-year-olds are asking it. Seven-year-old, Daddy, how did everything come into being? Oh, you know what? The Bible answers that very specifically. Here's how. God. God, the creator, did it. He created he created uniquely and amazingly with this word bara that describes that, that only he can do that, only he did it, which means he made all things absolutely out of nothing instantaneously. Isn't that amazing? Well, how do you do it, Daddy? Well, he did it by the word of his power. He did it by his work. What do you mean, Daddy? Well, God said, let there be existence, and boom, there was instantaneously. By the word of his power. So that what is seen... Right now, material existence was not made out of things which are visible. There it is. Creation out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. That's what the Bible teaches. This is highly important because this is contrary to virtually every other worldview that exists today. And I I shared the illustration of uh, Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist on earth today with those best-selling books that he writes. He's a he's a incredible, vicious debater of theists and kooky Christians. Highly intelligent, highly educated. Says he's an atheist, says he's an anti-theist, says God ruins everything, God is dangerous, God is poisonous, God poisons everything, if you believe in God. Theists delusional and uneducated and then when pressed to so how did everything begin richard uh well the big bang oh okay so like you're saying that there was nothing before there was everything well not necessarily oh okay so there was something before the universe as we know it in the earth well yeah probably what crystals really oh okay yeah so those crystals just kind of blew up and became everything yeah where'd the crystals come from aliens that's what he said and then Ben Stein was like, whoa, that's crazy. So you believe in intelligent design after all? No, I don't. Yeah, aliens. So that's pre-existing material. So you keep pressing and pressing and pressing until you get down to their true presuppositions, and you're going to find they are totally inconsistent and totally unscientific. And God's word is clear. What we see today was not made out of things which are visible because God made everything by the word of his power out of nothing. The only thing that existed in the eternity past was the triune God. And then God said, let it be. And it all came into existence, including time. God created time. Time is not eternal. And we talked about that in the first sermon. So that is the significance of this amazing word, bara, used by God, all things created by him. Well, you're ready to move on in your Hebrew lesson. In the beginning, the absolute beginning, Elohim, the triune God of the universe, created all things instantaneously, ex nihilo, out of nothing, by the word of his power. And that which is created is summarized as the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Oh, by the way, I was going to say that this whole idea of creation out of nothing is absolutely unique and distinct. And just... Maybe some of you who have read a little bit, you come across these ancient Near Eastern mythologies from the Egyptians and the Babylonians and all those other ancient civilizations that have creation stories. 
And it's proposed that, well, you know what? The uh, Bible copied from all those ancient stories and the Bible copied from uh, Enuma Elish, the Babylonian record of how all things came to be, by the way. And because Enuma Elish is about 600 B.C., therefore, Genesis couldn't have been written until after 600 B.C., so Genesis was probably written about 500 B.C., so they tell us. And Genesis is not original. Genesis copied from Enuma Elish, the pagan Babylonian uh, saga and story of how things came into being. And if you read Enuma Elish, seven clay tablets written in cuneiform, Akkadian cuneiform, that were discovered in the early 1800s for the first time. And then expert Egyptologists and cuneiformologists, I don't know if that's a real word, George Smith actually supposedly translated the seven tablets and, and printed it in the 1870s. And lo and behold, boom. So that's what they tell us. Well, in that so-called story of Enuma Elish, the Babylonian story of how things came into existence, is you have some weird, crazy, goofy, messed up God creating all things out of uh, primordial sea and soup that apparently has existed for all eternity. So that's typical. God did not create instantaneously all things out of nothing ex nihilo there was pre-existent probably eternal matter that goes all the way back to plato and even beyond so let's go on to well what did god create amazingly well it's the heavens and the earth and the heavens and the earth is really referring to one thing this the heavens and the earth is a hebrew idiom actually because get this the hebrews at least in moses's day writing in Hebrew. They didn't have a word for universe like we do. Universe is like all-inclusive or cosmos or galaxies, whatever. They didn't have that. So to relay all of reality, including what is above all the way to what is underneath, uh, the Hebrew idiom was the heavens and the earth. That phrase is used uh, throughout the Old Testament. It's used in Genesis 14, well, Melchizedek, the early priest of Jerusalem, gets to interact with Abraham and makes reference to the true God who is the maker of the heavens and the earth, that same phrase. Isaiah uses this same phrase of those two words in conjunction, heavens and the earth, repeatedly to refer to all of existence, all of creation. That's all that it means. In modern-day literature, people call it a literary device. When you refer to two different things that are kind of opposite to be all-inclusive, completely comprehensive of a certain reality, a merism, they would call it. And that's what this is. It's a merism, heavens and the earth. It means everything, everything possible and imaginable. Kind of like from head to toe, the whole person, heavens and the earth. So what did God create in the beginning out of nothing by the word of his power? In the instant of a moment, well, he created the heavens and the earth. In other words, he created all that is. He's, he created all of reality. This is, this is the teaching of scripture. So he created the earth and everything on it He create, and everything under the sea. He created uh, all that is out in the sky and in the heavens and uh, the stars, the sun and the moon. And the more we go into time, we realize more and more there are more and more stars and galaxies we never even knew or were aware of. And with our telescopes, we, we can't reach the end. It just seems to be infinite. Yet those are created things. They're not eternal. God made all of them. So that's, those are all included in the heavens and the earth. What about the spiritual realm? The Bible's clear there is a spiritual realm in reality. There are angels, there are demons, they are real. They can go back and forth sometimes into different dimensions. That, well, that would include the angels as well because angels are created beings. 
So they would go under this big umbrella as well. So this statement right here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is really an independent absolute statement. It stands by its own, and it is an absolutely complete thought and assertion and statement and sentence that actually is functions as a heading of Genesis chapter 1 and what is to follow verses 2 through 31, and at the same time communicating very specific truth. So in the very beginning, God created all things instantaneously, and he brought all matter into existence with a breath, And then chapter 1, verses 2 through 31, it's going to describe how God fashioned all of that material that he created and made it habitable for the rest of creation, and especially humans on earth. And we're going to see how God does that, really like the master potter working with his clay. But verse 1 is a definitive absolute statement, all things created by God out of nothing. Nehemiah 9, 6 is just one verse that reiterates this truth, that God created all things stars, earth, all of creation. Job talks about how the stars were created as well by God himself. Revelation 4.11, all of creation up in heaven bows down and worships God Almighty for being the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. Colossians 1, 13 through 17, let's look at it as we close. We, we said that, uh, oh, by the way, the word for heaven is plural, heavens, uh, heavens. It is plural in Hebrew, the heavens. And then earth is singular. But it refers to all of creation. King James, interestingly enough, translates heaven as singular. But the rest of your English translations translate heavens as plural, appropriately so. But we, we talked about earlier how Elohim, God, in your Bible there, capital G-O-D, is actually plural in Hebrew. Literally, you could transliterate it as gods, which for us is kind of, ooh, that sounds like polytheism, but it's not. Plural for a reason, and the, the plurality of it is determined by the context. Sometimes it refers to human beings, gods, Elohim. Sometimes it refers to false gods, Elohim, and sometimes... Most of the time, it refers to the true God of the Bible, who is one, not more than one. But there is a plurality in the nature of God, and that is the plurality of his persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, one entity, one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly harmonious with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that because of the revelation of the New Testament and the teaching specifically of Jesus. So when we're talking about Genesis 1-1, we already alluded to the fact that we could be talking about Jesus and bringing him into this because Jesus is, the Father is Elohim, Jesus is Elohim, the Holy Spirit is Elohim. How many Elohims are there? One. The Father is Yahweh, Jesus is Yahweh. How many Yahwehs are there? One. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you could also say, Based on the New Testament, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth with the Father and the Spirit. Colossians 1, here's what the Apostle Paul reveals. Giving thanks to the Father in verse 12. Why is he thanking the Father? Verse 13, for he rescued us. God the Father in his grace rescued sinners and they became Christians. Rescued them from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's Jesus. Jesus is the subject, verse 14. 
his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have we have redemption in Jesus. The end of verse 14, we have forgiveness of sin in Jesus. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God became a human being in Jesus, perfectly reflecting the character of almighty God, Elohim Yahweh. He's the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of creation. The reason he is the head of creation is verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. That's amazing. God created everything by Jesus. Well, all things? Yeah, all things. Be specific. Well, in the heavens and on earth. The heavens and the earth. There it is. Well, what about the angels in the invisible realm? Well, the visible and the invisible created by Jesus. Well, what about angels? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he is before all things. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is before time. Jesus fits in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Bereshit. In the beginning, Jesus was there with the Father who created all things. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus the creator of all things, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. And not only is Jesus the creator and sustainer of all things, Jesus is the judge of every soul. And he's the savior of anyone who believes in him. Who he is as a person and why he died on the cross as he, as he died as a substitute for sin, absorbing the wrath of the father that was deserved of sinners. And Jesus died in the place of sinners, absorbed the wrath of God, accepted that penalty, died, buried, rose again, conquered death, conquered Satan, conquered hell for all who believe ascended back into heaven and reigns as king of kings, lord of lords, still the creator of the universe, still the sustainer of the universe, and still the judge of the universe and savior to all who believe. Well, what should our response be to this great truth of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the psalmist helps us out, Jeremiah helps us out, and so does Isaiah. Just listen to a couple of verses. And we can... Hide these in our heart and meditate on these throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the week. In light of the reality of creation that God has communicated to us, in light of the fact that God is the one who brought us into existence and sustains us, we are accountable to him. And that's why Isaiah, or Psalm 95, 6, put it this way. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The reality and the reminder of the doctrine of creation, according to the Bible, should stir up in us an overwhelming desire to love the creator, to worship the creator, and to show it accordingly with all of our being. Bow down. Kneel. I hope that's part of your private devotional life. Jesus said, go in, shut the door, pray. I hope you're on your face at times, on your knees at times, weeping at times, bowing down to our amazing creator and beloved Savior. And Isaiah says this, 45, 9. Woe unto him, woe unto the human being, woe unto that person that strives with his maker. Sobering. That's the unbeliever. That's the atheist. That's the agnostic who says they deny that God exists. I don't know if God exists. I don't believe God. Yeah, he does. You know that. Romans 1, you know he exists. You know he's your creator. You know you're accountable to him. That's why you fear death. Woe unto you. It's a warning for you. It is actually a gracious 
loving warning from God. God is not willing that any should perish. He's, he's wooing them with the truth of his word. He's wooing them with his Holy Spirit to draw them unto his self. What a gracious, blessed creator and savior. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. Just the delight, the privilege it is to come and be with fellow believers who have been rescued, transformed, saved, forgiven by you, indwelt with the Spirit of God, which enables the sweetest and deepest fellowship we have with one another as our souls literally resonate with one another. And also just the wonderful privilege we have to understand the Bible as you gave it. It is a supernatural gift. We give you all the praise, all the glory. We thank you and and we know you will be with us as we commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.